my father-in-law said that anorexia is a rich, bored white girl's disease. I assure you that is definitely not the case. And it's not just girls. It, the, the How it affects boys is way underreported, obviously, because of the stigma associated. You're listening to Now What, a podcast where we celebrate the human spirit by sharing stories of strength and resilience. For those going through hard times or looking to get inspired to change their own life, we're your hosts, Jen and Tisha. Hi, I'm Jen, and we are here with Liz, who is a former coworker of mine from like a different life when I used to work in advertising and I lived in the Boston area. And Liz is a mom of three and one of the hosts and creators of the Multitasking in Heels podcast, which we love and you should check it out. And Liz has a story to share today, I think as most people do. Um, And so it's interesting how I lost my train of thought. <laughs> so Liz, do you have like why don't you introduce yourself more than yeah, more yeah, than just thank what I you. Said. <laughs> so yeah, so as Jen said, we met when we were coworkers in advertising like a, a thousand lifetimes ago, right? Like when we yeah. were both single, we didn't have any kids, we went to LL Cool J, and you know, mm-hmm. it was a totally different lifetime. And um, cosmopolitans, and yeah. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and now I am like trying to. I don't. I don't ever use the word balance because I don't believe that word exists for for mothers or working mothers I, I I don't so I try to not fall apart uh juggling my children and work and the home and whatnot and so you know every day is a new adventure and some days I'm good at it and some days I'm not good at it and some days I'm really really fucking terrible at it and I will be honest about that every single day but I'm so thrilled to be here with you guys because I love what you're doing. I love that you're giving like an open, honest voice to women in particular. I think that where we are today in society, we are just beginning to really respect women's voices and, and we're allowed to be heard now in a way that we've never been heard before. And we're allowed to say we're struggling with certain things. Or we're allowed to say we're suffering from certain things. And, and, you know, just because we're struggling or suffering doesn't mean we're not powerful, intelligent, capable, etc. So I really appreciate the opportunity to come onto your podcast and, and tell my story, which happens to be about my journey with disordered eating. And I'm going to kind of start at the beginning of, of my journey because that could either, you know, resonate with, with other women out there, or if you happen to be a parent, teacher, coach, mentor, whatever to children who you think might be struggling with that, maybe, maybe that will, will resonate with you. But, um, many people might not know this, but anorexia has the highest mortality rate of any mental health disorder. It has a mortality rate of nearly 10%. And it's, it's not, yeah, it's not a mental health disorder that's talked about a lot. We talk a lot about anxiety and depression and ADHD, and those are all very real things. I have a son that struggles with ADHD and depression. So those are very real issues. And I think that those are issues you kind of see a little bit more and the eating disorder issues can be hidden a little bit more easily, or you chalk it up to puberty or moodiness or whatever you do. But, um, Anyway, for the purposes, mm -hmm. let's be real that like somebody oftentimes looks healthy when they're suffering. Exactly. Yep. Like, and I say healthy with air quotes because it's like what societally is deemed to appear, what is to appear healthy. Exactly. And you're, you're congratulated for being smaller. You're congratulated. Like the last time someone told you, you looked great was because you lost weight. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest. Yeah. And that's yeah. a pretty not to take away from your from your story, but when I was diagnosed with cancer, mm-hmm. I um lost about 30 pounds, I think, because I was sick and yep. I couldn't eat. I was so stressed, I wasn't sleeping properly. And everywhere I went, people were like, Oh my gosh, you look so great. You look so great. Mm-hmm. You look so great. I'm like, I am so not well. Uh, yeah literally dying on the inside but thanks yeah Yeah. but thanks I'm glad I look good Mm -hmm. doing I'm I'm glad yes good on me yes (laughs) it's so so interesting you say that Tisha because someone posted 
on a local Facebook page that I belong to about the different types of, of privilege that we have as, as people. And that's very real things like having white privilege and this type of privilege and whatnot. And one of the things, one of the types of privilege they posted was thin privilege. And I said, I, I take issue with that. I said, there were times in my life that my thinness was a result of a mental health issue. I'm not saying that maybe subconsciously people judge people differently because of their bodies. I know they do, but if you were to look at someone that you defined as thin and you said to them, you have thin privilege, that person could be suffering so horribly that their, their thinness is literally killing them because of a mental health issue. So like at that, mm -hmm. like, I don't think that people take that into, into account really. And yeah, and to your point, like, yeah, people saying to you, oh, you look great. It's like, how do you think I got here? I'm like, I'm done. you know, like I'm dying. I'm sick. Like, how about that? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But for the purposes of kind of my story and my journey, I'm going to leave out any specific references to weight or calories or anything like that, because those, because numbers in general can be very triggering for people yeah. who have struggled with eating disorders. So if you keep, you know, if like it happens to me too, you know, like if I hear someone saying like, oh, I only eat X calories a day, or I lost X pounds. It's like that triggers something in my mind. Like I'm not doing something right. So I try to be very empathetic to that. Yeah. So I would say like, I started struggling with disordered eating really when I was a freshman in high school, but I would say my body image issues started long before that. Like my earliest memory was fifth grade, like for whatever reason, someday in school, like we all had to get weighed. It was, I don't even know why it was like, you know, they check your spine in school. They do this, they do that. So for whatever reason we were getting weighed in school. And then afterwards, everyone was talking about how much they weighed. And that was the first time I realized that that number held value, right? Like you were judged by whatever number that was on the scale. It didn't matter how tall you were. It didn't matter, you know, your genetics. It didn't matter anything. It was like the smaller, the number, the more valuable you are as, as a person. And that was when it sort of like first sunk into me that, that, that number mattered. And I distinctly remember like throughout middle school, like wanting to like lose weight before a dance. Like, you know, if I lost, you know, a certain amount of weight, like I was, it was going to be like a John Hughes movie where like I would <laughs> automatically be transformed into this like popular, desirable individual when Molly at the, at the yes, <laughs> totally. When like at the end of the day, I was just this like insecure lost individual. And that, that was the problem. It wasn't the number on the scale. It wasn't my weight. It was my mental mindset about myself. But it, it wasn't until like my freshman year in high school when I like actively engaged in unhealthy disordered eating. And it wasn't necessarily a, an incident that happened. It was more being in an environment where I just felt this pervasive feeling of not fitting in, of not knowing where I belonged, thinking I was the only person that didn't have a group or just didn't know. I was just uncomfortable in my own skin. And I felt like, walking down the hall and everyone was looking at me going, you're ugly, you're fat, you're stupid, you're this, you're a loser, whatever. Quite honestly, I'm sure no one gave a shit about me, but like that's, that was my mindset that, that I was not good enough. So I withdrew into myself and literally quite honestly started to make myself disappear. You know, my mom would pack my lunch for me every day and I would throw most of it away and I would eat an apple and three saltines. And that was all I allowed myself to eat. I wasn't allowed to eat four saltines. I could only eat three. And that's how like the eating disorder works. It tells you this is what you're allowed to have because you don't deserve any more. And I never ate breakfast and most of my dinner ended up spit into a napkin. And I joke to this day with my husband that my kids will never be able to hide food from me. I know all the tricks. I will find the carrot in your, the pocket of your Under Armour sweatshirt. I'll find it under the heater. I'll find it anywhere you stash it. You'll never be able to hide food for me because I know all the tricks. Um, and of course, you know, the weight came off pretty quickly and eventually my parents noticed and there was some cause for concern, but rather, and this is something I'm still, I'll be candid, still trying to reconcile to this day, rather than say to me, what's going on? Are you okay? Do you need help? My mother's response was normal people eat. You need to eat something. I don't know why you're not eating. So to her, it was a black and white issue. It was we all eat because that's what normal people do. You are not eating. Therefore you are not normal. You need to, you need to fix this. That was her response. Just be normal. Just be normal. Exactly. There was okay. no underlying issue. There was no, Hey, did something happen? Is something going on? It was just fix it. So she ended up taking me 
to my pediatrician, who's this old dude in his sixties, who like absolutely was not going to relate to like 15 year old angsty ridden me. And I had grown a few inches, but lost a significant amount of weight. And so he had some concern as a healthcare professional, but all he did was say, you need to eat more. Are you going to eat? And anorexia is known as the liar's disease. Any eating disorder really is like, you'll say any, it's just like a drug addict. Like you'll say anything just to like end the conversation and move on or pretend that everything's fine and move on. So I just looked his old dude face in the face and I was like, yeah, I'll start eating. And he just sent me on my merry way. There was no, have you thought about treatment programs? Have you looked into this? Have you thought about therapy? Like it just wasn't done when we were kids really. And he wasn't the right person to talk to me about that either. So at that point, my mom insisted on me getting on a scale in front of her every night after I took a shower. But again, like I'm too crafty to be fooled by you. Like I wore my heaviest sweatpants, a sweatshirt. I worked, um, as a cashier at a place, I bought rolls of quarters. I put rolls of quarters in my pocket. Like I was going to do anything to make her see the number go up on the scale. So she thought I was getting quote unquote better. And it just like, again, like she, all she cared about was seeing that number going up. She didn't really care that like, I literally hated myself so much. I didn't care if I lived or died. I was literally trying to make myself disappear. Right. Well, I think so much of it, and I, I, not that that, this should make you feel any better in any way, but it just waspy New England parents. Right. That's not, that's no. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. You don't talk about it. Everything's fine. And it's like, and I mean, Jen, you can totally relate to this. So I found out recently after I wrote an article, the article for Scary Mommy about my eating disorder, like my cousin said to me, when you were going through all of that, my mom reached out to your mom, their sisters, and said, I'm really concerned about Liz's weight loss. Is there something going on? And my mom said to her, everything's fine. Don't bring this up again. It's none of your business. So not only was I wasting away in front of her, but like her, someone who she's incredibly close to brought up, brought it up and said like, you know what, something might not be okay. And my mom, instead of being like, I know, I don't know what to do. My mom was like, shut her down immediately. And like, I didn't find that out until fairly recently. And 30 plus years later, that really stung, like as an adult with, with parents, you know, like, again, like I have a child that has, you know, ADHD and, and depression and things like that. And, And my husband and I do literally everything we can to get him the help that he needs and the support that he needs. And so to think that my parents or my mom didn't, I'm not saying she didn't value me enough. That's not fair. I know she loves me and whatnot, but like it really stung to hear that she wasn't even willing to entertain that something could be wrong. You know, like that really, it's like, it has bothered me. It definitely sits with me. Well, and I I think it's, Go ahead, ahead, Jen. Jen. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, like, I think it's really hard sometimes for parents to receive information Mm -hmm. that maybe their child is anything but normal. And again, I am doing that in air quotes, but like, you know, to, to have somebody saying is something wrong, is something going on with Mm -hmm. your child? You know, I think a lot of parents, people aren't ready to receive that. Completely. Like she would look at it more like it was a failure on her yes. versus yes. like something that's going on inside of me. What I was going to say is like, what are people thinking? Right. Yep. You can't exactly. Let, like what, what, what might people think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's very yes. much like that is like culturally, like where we grew up. Oh, <laughs> like also I think like, like oh. I don't know, like there's probably also that element of like, and what did I do that could have caused this mm-hmm. as a parent? Yep. What mistakes did I make? And so therefore it has to be a reflection of me. I must have done yes. something wrong. Yes. And I can't let so, anybody know I did anything wrong. Yep. Cause what no. would they think? You, you, yep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, completely. And the ironic thing, and I, I, and I think this is important for parents or teachers or whomever to know is like on paper, like I looked like take the physical out of it. Like I looked fine. I was an honor student. I was a good musician. I had a great boyfriend. I I had friends. It wasn't like I was this 
person sitting at the lunch table by herself or I was failing at school or whatever, like I had tangible things I could point to where I was, you know, doing okay. You like check the boxes. Exactly. The necessary boxes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it was what was going on inside of me, the insecurity, the like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I am. I don't know where I belong, you know, constantly feeling like I'm not good enough that just, you know, came out in this unhealthy way, but all the while, again, you know, like people with eating disorders strive for perfection. So I was very focused on making sure I got good grades. Like I was very focused on getting into music school. Like, so, you know, it's a, it's an easy way to kind of hide a little bit because you don't, aside from your physical appearance, you know, quote unquote successful in other areas, but eventually things got so bad. I had had trouble sitting through class. Like I did like, was just all bone and like, it was just uncomfortable. Like even sitting like in a chair, I had chest pains. I was dizzy all the time. I didn't get my period for almost a year. It was like really started to take its toll on me. And then just at, at some point I kind of got sick and tired of feeling sick and tired of being dizzy of thinking about food of it was just and weight I was just literally exhausted I was just exhausted and and at some point I I was in my senior year of high school I was focused on my auditions to get into music school and so that kind of became a healthier focus for me and I got back to I won't ever say normal, but I wasn't engaging as in as unhealthy activity as I had before and kind of got into like a a better, better space. Um, But I still considered my body, my enemy. I was never like excited about eating. I was, I never, I never looked at food like nourishment. I looked at it like, okay, well I have to eat because I just have to I have to eat, but fast forward to college, which like, I mean, I loved college. Like it was, if I could ever, if I could repeat four years of my life, it would absolutely be college. Sorry, kids. Love you. But college is the best. <laughs> um, and it was just great to get away from my hometown. I went to a college where nobody else I knew went, and it was just like leaving, leaving behind any preconceived notions that people had of me. And I was, I went to music school and I really loved being around creative people. Um, cause those are people that don't live inside a box and they, they put things out into the world and they're willing to be, to be judged. And to me, that was just really gratifying. But I also went to, to a school where eating disorders were rampant. What was and the dance program? That's all I could think of. I, there was yeah. a dance program theater. I mean, you know, it was no one's dirty little secret. It was very much out in the open. It was competitive. It, and so in a way it it absolutely fueled my eating disorder because I was like, Oh gosh, I have to keep up with all of these like skinny girls from long Island to, you know, whatever. And it was just, there was no, there was no hiding it. I mean, I knew a girl whose parents offered to buy her a car if she gained a certain amount of weight. Like it was, it was like that. Um, And that's when I started not just restricting food, but abusing laxatives, diuretics, and diet pills, because I felt like restricting food just wasn't enough. It was, you know, again, like I was surrounded by these, in my mind, beautiful girls who were thinner than me and more popular and whatever, more self-assured. And I had to take more drastic measures to be able to compete, you know, with everybody for what I have no idea, but ironically, at the time, I also got certified by Reebok in the American Fitness Association of America to teach aerobics. Very 90s, ladies, very 90s. <laughs> um, and I got a job on campus at our, our gym teaching aerobics. And like, I loved the fact that my class was super hard and all these hungover sorority girls would come and they wanted to leave because they were like so hungover they were to throw up and, you know, whatever. And I was just like, this is my gym, you know, like I, and, and to me in my mind, I was healthy. I was fit. I was like an example for like, you know, what people should strive for. And then one day my boss came to me and she said, unless you put on some weight, I can't have you teach her. You look very unhealthy. I know you're unhealthy and I can't have you be an example for health and fitness in my gym. Wow. And I was like, fuck. Like, you know, when I was like, I'm working out two hours a day, I do, you know, like, and, and again, in my distorted mindset, I was an example of health, but in reality, I was like 
dying. You know, it, it, it just, it really was like a knife in my heart and, and really kind of made me think about like, what am I, what am I doing? Like making me realize that like my mind is so distorted, what the reality is and what, you know, what is going on inside of me. And then later that year I went home for, you know, Christmas break or something like that. And I had lost a noticeable amount of weight. And my dad said to me, are you okay? Like, if you're not okay, we can get you help. And I just looked at him and he was like on the verge of tears as he was saying this to me. And I looked in his face and I lied and I said, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. And like, that was it. That was the end of the conversation. And that was the closest my parents ever got to kind of pushing me to, to get help. Um, And I, I wish they had pushed harder I, because to this day, there are things I still struggle with that I think I could have resolved as a young woman that I still carry around with me today. And I think it's going to be harder for me to, to resolve them now. And I know I still, I still need to, I'll be honest. Like I, there's, you know, there are things that I absolutely still struggle with, but, um, you know, fast forward to me graduating from college and I spent several years like having, you know, I guess I don't want to use the word normal relationship with food. Cause I don't think that that's totally honest, but, um, but I was always hyper aware of what I put into my body. Like if I was out to dinner with friends and everybody got a salad, I would get a salad. Like, even if that's not what I wanted, because I felt like the, the eating disorder voice says to you, well, everyone's getting a salad. Are you going to be the big fat pig that gets like pasta? Like that's what that's, that's the voice in my head. The voice in my head is telling me you don't deserve that. And don't do that. I would never finish what was on my plate. Like if I looked around and saw that someone left, you know, like, a tiny bit of food on their plate, I would make sure I left a tiny bit more of food on my plate because I never wanted to be the one that ate more than everybody else, which again, I know it sounds ridiculous and crazy, but it's the voice that exists in the back of your head that tells you have more self-control. You don't deserve to eat that. You don't deserve to finish that. And I always like viewed, so like, so shortly after I graduated from college, I joined like a monthly support group for eating disorders. And that was sort of the first, it was just for women. The first time I really understood why I did the things I did and what the eating disorder was doing to me. And I realized like, I viewed it as something that was protecting me. Like one day we had to draw a picture of what our eating disorder represented. And I drew like a blanket, like a security blanket. Like it was something I could always turn to that in a time of chaos that would provide me with comfort because I, I could control it. Yeah. When in reality it was controlling me, but it was something predictable. It was something tangible. It was something that would take my focus off of like whatever issue I didn't want to deal with. And I, I viewed, and I've just, I came to this realization, you know, not that long ago, that I just viewed my body as the enemy. Like my body was going to turn on me unless I controlled it. And my eating disorder was saying, I can help you control it. Your body doesn't have to turn on you. And it's just, it's, it's an exhausting struggle. And, and again, like I, I do feel like if I had gotten the treatment that I desperately needed when I was younger, I would be able to address the root cause of my issue, you know, like low self-esteem, being uncomfortable in your own skin, second guessing everything, et cetera, et cetera. But I spent, let's see, gosh, I think the prior to my last relapse, I spent, I mean, I don't know, maybe 15 years not having really any major struggles with my eating disorder, like just having probably the closest normal relationship with food that I could. And I, you know, have friends in my, you know, circle, circle of women that I'm close with that I've had open conversations with about, you know, my history and they've shared with me what they've struggled with and everything. And it's been very comforting to like be honest and, and, and have those conversations. But Mm -hmm. I always had the conversation, like I was past it. Mm -hmm. You know, I always talked about it. Like it was something that I was over and recovered from physically but then fast forward a couple years ago I was the matron of honor in my sister's wedding and it was lovely but we got we got the pictures back I looked at the pictures and I was like taking it back at like I just felt like I looked terrible quite honestly and I my sister's 
you know, I've got two younger sisters. My middle sister's 18 months younger than me. My youngest sister's three years younger than me. So we're all like super close in age and all that. And I, I felt like, you know, they looked so much better than me. They were thinner than me. And I was like, how did I let myself get to this point? And I just had this, you know, moment of feeling really terrible about myself. And that moment, looking at those pictures was enough for my eating disorder to wake up and say, well, you know what to do. And I decided, okay. And like, at first I was like, okay, like I'm just going to go on a diet and I'm going to lose X pounds, but I'd never been on a diet, like quote unquote diet before. I didn't even know what that was. You know, um, I had always either just sort of had like a regular relationship with food, or I had had a really terrible relationship with food. I had never been like, okay, you know, if I want to lose a certain amount of weight, like this is sort of how I have to do it. So I Googled ridiculous, but I Googled how many calories do you have to eat to lose weight? And it said like, you have to eat X calories to, to lose weight. You have to eat Y calories to lose weight quickly. And my eating disorder said, oh, please, like you can do better than that. And so now I had this benchmark that was like not healthy. And so that, so you're not just going to do the lowest one. You're going to correct that. Exactly. And it's like the overachiever. Completely. And that's the voice being like, oh, come on, like fatty, like you don't, you can do better than that. This is what regular people do, but you can be better than that. You know, and it's just telling you that you are just lazy and worthless and all of that. And you can do a better job than everybody else. Um, And that was it. That's all it took. And I immediately started like counting calories, researching calories. And like, for me, it always started off kind of like slowly, like, okay, I have a yogurt for breakfast. And then I cut it down to half the yogurt and then I don't eat any yogurt. And then for lunch, I have a smoothie with almonds and a cheese stick. Then I don't have the cheese stick. Then I don't have the almonds. Then I have half the smoothie. So it's just, you know, restricting over time. And then I would calculate the calories that I ate at breakfast and the calories I ate at lunch And whatever was left over was what I was quote unquote allowed to eat for dinner. So it's some, some days were more, some days were less, but again, the eating disorder tells you, you are only allowed to eat this. You do not deserve more food than this because you already ate X, Y, and Z, or you didn't work out or whatever it is. Um, And you just become a slave to counting calories. And I started uh, weighing myself every day, which is fucking pointless. There's no need to weigh yourself at all, ever, ever at all. Um, I have since thrown my scales away. But if I didn't see that number go down every day, I became disappointed. And I thought I was a failure. And I thought I wasn't working hard enough. And then that's when I started taking laxatives again. And the weight came off, you know, pretty, pretty quickly. You go from eating like a balanced meal to almost nothing. Then, you know, even in middle age, the weight does come off and people started noticing. And like you said, Tisha, they say like, wow, you look great. And pardon the pun, but like that feeds the beast of the eating disorder. And it's like, oh, you think I could, I look good now? Like wait until I lose another X pounds, you know? And like, when I started this, I had this target goal in mind, but that's not how eating disorders work. That target always moves. So you'll never have a number you're happy with. You'll always reset that number to a smaller and smaller target. So like I blew past my target and I was like, sweet. Like I, what about this? What about this? And you know, you're never, you're until that number zero, like you're never going to be satisfied, you know? And like, it became very uncomfortable. So this was before COVID. It became very uncomfortable for me to eat in public. So I remember going to a fundraiser for the board that my husband sits on. And it was a a, a lovely dinner, Um, but it was the first time I had been put in a position where I had to basically eat what was put in front of me. I couldn't order anything off a menu. I had no choice. And we were like sitting at this big table with other board members and I couldn't just not eat. I would look like a lunatic. So Um, I had to eat what was put in front of me. And that was terrifying for me because I was completely out of control of what was in the food, how it was made, what they were serving me. And then I just went home and I took a handful of laxative because, because I just wanted to get rid of the food. I was like, they made me eat that. I need to get rid of it. Like it was, again, that control piece telling me like, you're, again, you're not supposed to have this. And of course my husband, you know, asked if what was going on, if, if I was okay. And 
he at first didn't think the weight loss was that big of a deal, but because, but he's been down the eating disorder road with me. So he got to a point where he started to worry and he did ask me because it was coming off fairly quickly. He said, are you taking laxatives again? Because he, he knows I had done that in the past. And I just looked him in the face and I said, no, because if I had said yes, that would have set off alarm bells with him. He would have tried to stop me from doing what I was doing. And I did not, I was, I was like in this, you know, path of like, I'm not done losing weight. I'm in control here. I don't need help. You stay out of it. Then I used to hide my laxative packages in shoe boxes in my room. And then one day my then seven-year-old daughter was going through my closet and trying on my shoes as she used to like to do before she became a tomboy. And she found the laxatives and she's like, mommy, why are they, what are these? And why are they in your shoe boxes? And I lied. And I just told her they're vitamins, which is like pretty fucking humbling. If you're looking your child in the face and lying yeah. to them about mm-hmm. your behavior. And over the course of, you know, a few months, I had lost a significant amount of weight. None of my clothes fit. I was having chest pains. I was having trouble sitting through meetings at work and like focusing like my mental, like, I couldn't retain information from meetings because I was just kind of like loopy, to be honest. Um, cause you're not eating. Exactly. Exactly. Like I couldn't like, and it started to take like a mental toll on me. I was just not in a healthy place to even like process thoughts. Um, and people started getting concerned and talking. And a couple people asked my husband, like a couple people in town asked my husband if I was okay. My older son told me I looked weird because I was so thin. And my daughter who loves to bake with me asked, you know, why I never ate any of the desserts we baked together. I like, I used to just use excuses like, oh, I haven't had dinner yet. Or, oh, I'm not hungry or whatever. And that's like, again, I'm like lying to my kids. Like my kids are looking at me and noticing things and they're young and that's not okay. So, and when I look back now, when we would have family dinners together, like my plate wouldn't look like everybody's plate. Like if we were having burgers, for example, like I would have a burger, no bun and like mixed greens on the side. And like everybody else had like, a regular burger with a bun with French fries. And like my plate didn't look like theirs. And like, I'm basically sending a subliminal message to my children that what's on your plate is bad and I'm not going to eat it. And that's a dangerous Mm -hmm. and unhealthy message to send to your kids. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, over time, my husband was getting even more concerned and he was said, every time he cuddled with me in bed, I felt smaller and smaller. And, you know, he's like, I don't, I don't know what I will do anything I can do to help you. I don't know what to do. I will do anything to support you. And it was really because I could see the toll was taking on my kids. And I knew, I knew I was in a space where this was not going to get any better, that I was going to continue down a path that was incredibly dangerous that I said, okay, like I need to kind of put a stop to this. Like I need to get help. So I ended up, there's um, a nonprofit organization in Massachusetts called MEDA, M-E-D-A, and they provide support for people that struggle with eating disorders. So I made an appointment to meet with a clinician there one day and I went in and I met with her and I was probably, I did maybe like an hour and a half intake with her where she asked a gazillion questions about my history with my eating disorder, my weight history, all of that, kind of the behaviors I was engaging in today. And we talked through everything. It was exhausting. And at the end, she looked at me and she said, you're not going to like what I have to say to you, but I think that you need to take a leave of absence from work and enter a partial hospitalization program. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I came here to get like, maybe the names of some therapists and some nutritionists and I'll be on my merry way. I'm like, I'll take care of this. No problem. But she said, based on what you're telling me and the behaviors that you're engaging in, she said, I don't know that you can do this on your own. And you are very close to not having a choice, but to be hospitalized. And so to be part of a a partial hospitalization program would have meant that I took a leave of absence from my job and I would have gone to a facility Monday through Friday, all day. And I would have had individual therapy, group therapy, weigh-ins, monitored meals, et cetera. It was like a fairly intense program. And I was just like, I don't want all these people like up in my business. Like that, that like terrified me. And so I said to her, like, I'm, I, and I, I said, I, I'm not doing that. 
I'm not taking a leave of absence from work. I'm not. And because I had also told her that I had not, but that my family didn't know outside of my husband and my kid, like my parents didn't know what I was going through. And she said, you might have to tell your parents about this because they might need to help you with your kids. And to me, I'm like, I made that. I just can't even imagine doing that. Um, so I just, I just burst into tears. I cried the entire way home and just had this epiphany, like, no way. Like this, this is, I've, I've let this get too far and I am going to take the control back now. And I made an appointment with my primary care physician to make sure that there was nothing. I hadn't done any like permanent damage to myself. And she was so amazing. She, you know, she did total blood work, everything, everything came back fine. And she's like, I'm on your side. I'm on your team. Like, what can I do to support you? I made an appointment with, um, a therapist and a nutritionist. I'll be honest like this. So this is very, this is right before COVID began. And I think I had three appointments with my therapist and then COVID hit. And I was like, I'm out. Like I, I can't, for me, I couldn't handle doing that amount of work on myself while I was working from home and homeschooling three kids. So yeah. I focused on my physical wellness and, and re-nourishing myself physically versus mentally, which is why I say, I, I think I still have a lot of work to do mm-hmm. on myself emotionally, because I kind of had to, at least in my mind, I had to choose where I was going to put my focus. And at that time it was making sure I got better physically, but my nutritionist, I mean, she's like an angel. She was just a godsend for me. Like she handled me with kid gloves at first. She gave me like these very small attainable goals to start to re-nourish myself. Um, and away COVID was a little bit of a blessing and a curse in my recovery. It was a blessing because we couldn't go anywhere. So I, ha- I was in complete control of, of what I ate right. and, and food preparation. So like that's comforting. And it gave me kind of a safe space and all of that. It was not a curse, but it could, it probably hindered my recovery a little bit because I wasn't put in positions like dinner parties or barbecues or whatever, where you're like, Hey, you know what, here's the food. you got to figure it out and be comfortable with it. Um, those situations that really challenge you. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Where you're not in control. And so she would give me these challenges, like get takeout from a place you've never gotten takeout from, or order something from a menu that you've never ordered before. Like, you know, just again, little things or don't look at a menu before you go somewhere to eat, you know? And it's, again, it sounds stupid, but like, it's more removing any element of control that you have. So you have to make a decision in the moment and sit with that decision and be comfortable with it. And that was really, and and like, and again, like, you know, having a cookie when I bake cookies with my daughter or a muffin or just, you know, and enjoying what that food represents. And that's like, you know, togetherness and, and celebration and like quality time with my daughter. And I've started to, and I, I still try to do this. I've started to appreciate how my body feels physically when it's well nourished and that like, I have more energy. I'm happier I have more clarity that it's not just about like a means to an end, you know, but it's like, it's hard. Like, as we were talking about the beginning, like as women, we're so ingrained with chasing this unattainable perfection. Like we're constantly comparing ourselves to one another. We're constantly comparing Mm -hmm. ourselves to the images we see on social media. It's just, it's pervasive. And like, you know, say what you want about like, there's women out there, you know, who have different body types, like. Lizzo or, you know, whatever, like still society is always going to tell you that you need to fit into a certain mold. And I mean, well, every day of age mm-hmm. in, in, in the time of Kate Moss and Harold. exactly waif. Yep. Right. Yep. So like mm-hmm. I, I had a conversation with a friend the other day about like, we came of age in this time you know, and then you had like Brittany and Christina with their like pants down to here. Yes. Like, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so yes, there's more now for like both of your daughters to see. Yep. But that's not what we were all like weaned on. Mm-mm. Not, not at all. Not at all. And it, like in any given day, you go on usweekly.com, people.com, whatever, there's going to be an article that talks about a before and after celebrity who just lost weight. Like, it doesn't matter. Oh. Like, you can, they can preach whatever body positivity they want at the end of the day, they're going to celebrate the weight loss, the bikini pics, the, this, that, 
and the other thing. And it's like, I'm 47 now. I've had three kids, two at the same time. I try to be proud of what my body has accomplished, but there is still going to be the little voice in my mind that is like, oh, why can't you look like that? Or, oh, what, you know, and it's just, I'm praying to God that, you know, we are able to raise our kids in a more enlightened world. And I do, I try to talk to my kids about food in a positive way. So like in my house, you don't have to earn dessert. And in my house, I don't use terms like make a healthy choice. We talk about how does food make your body feel? So like my oldest son, he went to a sports camp last week and like, he's 13. So like he, he, you know, sleeps till like 1130 in the morning and his sports camp started at 1230. So he finally, you know, waltzes out of bed at 1130. And I was like, all right, we're going to leave for camp in a little bit. Like, why don't you have, he's such a picky eater. So, but I was like, why don't you have like a bagel and a protein bar? Like that'll be good because you've got camp from 1230 to 330 and be playing sports. Like that'll like be some good fuel for you. I don't want that. I don't want that. I want donuts. And I was like, all right, I go, I don't know that that's probably the best choice for your body and the activities you're going to do. I go, go ahead, have your donuts. He had his donuts. I picked him up. He felt like shit three hours later when I picked him Mm -hmm. up and was complaining how he felt like shit the entire ride home. I made him a turkey burger when we got home and he felt better. And so I said, do you remember this morning when we talked about the donuts and we said like, you're going to have like a sugar high, then you're going to crash and it's probably not going to carry you through camp. And he's like, yeah, go when did you start feeling like crap? And, you know, and so like, we just talked about that, like how your, his body responded to the choices that he made. And I don't care if he eats donuts, but now he understands that maybe eating donuts before going to sports camp for three hours, wasn't the best choice. So the next day he made a different choice. So like, it's, it's more about how, like, what is your body telling you? And we have, I have that conversation, you know, with, with all of my kids, like we were out to dinner last night for Avery and Brady's birthday and they both got this awesome, like bacon, mac and cheese and whatever. And so like at one point Brady just sat back and he's like, Oh, and I go, did you maybe have a couple bites too many? And he's like, I think so. I go, all right, I go take a break. Listen to what your body's telling you. Like he didn't make a bad choice with the mac and cheese. His body was just done eating it, you know? And so to me, like, that's the conversations we need to have. Like, you know, I don't refuse them dessert because that's putting dessert on a pedestal, right? Like that's saying that you need to earn it, that it's something special. Like it's not, it's food. There's no, there's no good food. There's no bad food. There's yeah. food. And it's going to make, you know, whatever you put into your body is going to make your body feel a certain way. That's what you need to acknowledge. Yeah, um, but it's, you know, it's that's hard. easier said than done. It's hard as a parent, right? Mm-hmm. I've got like a yep. sugar obsessed totally. little one and nothing makes him, he never feels bad ever mm-hmm. and I just don't allow dessert generally anyway because it just got to this negotiation thing where they would yeah. like always it would be like okay three more bites and then I could have ice cream yeah and I didn't want to do that so I was like there's no dessert like there's mm-hmm. just none I don't have yep. any there isn't but it's a struggle because I haven't struggled with a relationship with food but I see even when little boys when they talk about having six packs and stuff yes at, at yep. six at six and and seven years and eight years old mm-hmm. that to me is so uncomfortable completely and, you know so like it's a struggle like I always say I'm like mm-hmm. you have to eat protein protein is what makes your yeah. brain work it's what makes you feel strong it's what keeps you full and going protein and fat those are important mm-hmm. and and they'll like, because why it's always like, well, you know, pizza is a healthy choice. I'm like, well, it's healthier than a pizza candy. And it's not right, horrible, right, right. but like, and it's better if we make it at home or if we get it from this one place. Mm-hmm. But like, it, any of it's fine to eat, but you can't just eat that. Right. But the whole idea of protein when you've got two kids, and I know, Tisha, you have one too, that barely like to eat any source of protein is mm-hmm. like a, an argument. And it and is, it's, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And I and have I to imagine it. it has to be borderline triggering to a point mm-hmm. to somebody who is trying to work on their own relationship. With yeah. Them. And it's so lately. And so my daughter loves sugar, loves candy, like is obsessed. And so Will has started saying, my oldest, my 13 year old started saying to her, like, Avery's going to get fat. She's going to get fat if she keeps eating that candy. Fat. Like, and I was like, 
you are not allowed to save. And like, I've always ingrained or tried to ingrain in my kids. We do not comment about on people's appearance. It is completely inappropriate. It matters what type of person they are, how they treat you, etc. Physical appearance does not matter, but he has no use for his nine-year-old sister anyway. So he's going to, you know, tease her about anything, but this is his new thing saying he's going to, she's going to, you're going to be fat. You're going to be fat. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like struggling with how to address it with him. Like, do I tell him what I struggled with as a 13 year old boy? I don't really know if he's going to get it. So I don't know. I'm really like, I'm, I, this is a brand new thing in our house that I'm having a hard time trying to figure out what to do with. Cause me just saying to him, that's inappropriate. We don't comment on people's appearances. You're going to hurt her feelings. He just doesn't care. You know, exactly, exactly, exactly. It's so I, hard. I was wondering, like, I just, I think it would, it has to be interesting for anybody listening that this is something where you had a serious enough relapse in your 40s like this isn't something that just like you know teenagers and 20 year olds right suffer from yeah yeah the the clinician I met with the first thing I said to her when I sat down was I'm really embarrassed to be here right now I was I think 44 when I met with her and she said the youngest person I've met with is was eight. The oldest was 81. So it's not a teenager's disease. All ages. And I remember like, there's so much stigma attached to this. I remember like years and years ago, I didn't even know how the topic came up at dinner with my in-laws. My father-in-law said that anorexia is a rich, bored white girl's disease. I assure you that is definitely not the case. And it's not just girls. It, the, the How it affects boys is way underreported, obviously, because of the stigma associated mm-hmm. with it. And I think, you know, my cousin Julie has a great thing. Like we're all recovering from something. And I think my last relapse proved to me that it really humbled me. Like I will, I think I will always be recovering from this to a certain extent. I just need to be mentally strong enough to quiet that voice in my head that says, you're not good enough. You're weak. You know, that's going to take control over, over me. I need to be able to quiet that and recognize, like, I feel I feel physically and mentally better being a healthier, healthier Mm -hmm. person, but yeah, there is no age limit. There's no gender. There's no race. There's nothing. It's, you know, it can affect anyone. Yeah. I want to ask a question Mm -hmm. about like the little voice, because I, I, I want you to help me understand a little bit Mm -hmm. because you were saying like, on the one hand, there's like that, that voice inside you that tells you you're not good enough that tells you that you don't deserve these things but then there's this also this this piece of you that you've touched upon that's like that overachieving Mm -hmm. and wanting to do better than everybody else is that like almost trying to prove like they see yeah they're almost competing voices so and it's funny because I had this conversation with my nutritionist um, sort of early on in my recovery, because she would give me these, these tasks and I had to, I had to perform the task. I had to meet my challenge and I had to do this. So there were very tangible things. And I was, I, I, I met each challenge that she gave me, but that was like the perfectionist in me. It was like, okay, you told me I had to do something. So now I'm going to do it. Like they are, they are two like very competing voices. It's like, there's a part of you that wants to be this perfect little thing Um, Mm -hmm. and then there's that voice. And sometimes the voice is telling you, I'm going to, I'm going to show you how to be perfect. I'm going to show you that being perfect means that you are only allowed to eat this much that you, you know, have to weigh this much. Um, and then there's sort of that other voice that is, that is focused on the, the achievement outside of the eating disorder. That's focused on the grades or the, you know, professional accomplishments or, or whatever it is. And some, sometimes they're working in concert and sometimes they're completely independent of one another. Yeah. Cause I can but also a constant see battle. that because I have some perfectionist tendencies too, that don't lend themselves to my weight, but I definitely have some perfectionist tendencies mm-hmm. and I can set these goals for myself. Then when I don't achieve them, I feel like a failure. And sometimes it's because yeah, I'm setting an completely. unrealistic yeah. expectation to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I'll just need to like, yeah. And it's like, the, and it's like that you're is... a failure all the time. Cause that's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, what is failure? Right? Like we totally. are defining yeah. what failure is like nobody yeah. else is like, we're doing that to ourselves, Yeah. which yeah. is just, we have enough pressure 
on us as women and mothers, like to put unnecessary pressure on like, you know, I've just, I decided I failed. Nobody else did. I, I'm putting that on right. myself. Yeah. Have you, I don't know. I, it, might, it might not, it, it probably won't, wouldn't serve you, but have you um, heard of or seen the Apple TV show physical? I started watching it. Did you? And did you have I to had turn to it take off? a little break. I did. I, well, second, I love Rose Byrne. But the so, second you started talking about that little voice, that yeah. is what I, cause like mm-hmm. they actually like physically represent that. It's tough. It's in, tough. Like when it. she's like lining up all the food and eating, binging on the food. And I was like, and of course, like, she's like this tiny little thing and whatever, you know, it's yeah. just like, it, it started to stir and like, I could relate to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did start to stir up thoughts in my mind and so I I do have to be kind of careful about stuff like that um there is a book I read yeah because she's because she's literally you have hear her the voiceover yes the voice in her head saying you're worthless like you fat Mm -hmm. cow and you look look at her like what but I know but it just it just shows like but that how internally we can tear ourselves down no matter what no yeah no one can tear ourselves apart like we can especially as you know again as as women we're constantly judging ourselves it's um I don't know like I I love being a woman and like at the same time being a woman sucks like you know I'm still like talking to my sister-in-law the other day at the beach and we were talking about like our hormones and how our bodies change and like I'm sweating all the time or I'm like my skin's different I'm like ugh why can't we just like be, you know, like normal or whatever. It's just, you know, I don't, every time we turn around, we're struggling with like something Something. else. Um, But there's a book I read during, during my recovery, it's called eating by the light of the moon. And it was written by a therapist who specializes in treating um, people with eating disorders, but it's not a self-help book. She, she basically uses like folklore, um, as a way to talk about women's relationships with their bodies and food. And it was the first time I read, cause I've read self-help books, but it was the first book I read that made me go, oh my gosh, I totally get that. Oh my gosh. I, I felt like that. Oh my, like it, I have to say, if anyone is struggling with an eating disorder or knows someone like pick up the book, it's, it was incredibly helpful and insightful for me to just, I don't know, make me realize that the way I feel is, okay. And, and a lot of other people have felt the same way. And it's just about healing kind of emotionally and spiritually outside of healing yourself physically, which for me was, was really, really helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And do you see yourself? I know you were saying that you were seeing a therapist kind of before COVID and mm-hmm. now that things are opening up, do you see yourself ever going back to that? Or do you feel like what you're doing is, is sufficient yeah, and my husband would love for me to be back in therapy. <laughs> um, I do, I, I know deep down to be completely 100% candid, I know I need to go back, I do. Um, and I use things as an excuse not to. My nutritionist call me out on it. I use um, work, I'm, I'm really busy at work. I you know, have three kids, my oldest is in therapy. I've got this, you know, what, like, of course there's 10,000 excuses you can make to not do something you don't want to do. And I am using every single one of them. Um, in this book that I read, it talked about therapy as a labyrinth and, and you don't really get to recovery until you get to the center of that labyrinth. And that journey is really, really painful and confusing Mm -hmm. and all of that. And I, and I'll, and I will be honest, I think I'm afraid of that journey. I think I'm afraid of acknowledging certain things about myself. Um, but I know because that I works hard. Yeah. yeah, exactly. 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 It's hard. It's going to be emotional. I think it's going to be scary, but I know for sure deep down, I don't have a chance at full recovery until I do that work. And so I might be walking on a little bit of a tightrope now saying like, I'm in a good place. I figured out how to quiet my voice. Like I'm following my meal plan, blah, blah, blah. But you know, if you said to me, what if you found out tomorrow, like your mom was sick, how would you handle that? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. And like, I'm embarrassed to say that. Like, I feel like I should have learned my lesson with my last relapse, but I want to say I'm strong enough to overcome future challenges or chaotic events in my Mm -hmm. life without retreating to that bad behavior. But I'm not going to, I can't, after what I went through before, I cannot be so cocky as to say that, that I can. 
Yeah. And I think, I think the strength in some ways lies in, in saying that you have a weakness Mm -hmm. and not thinking that you've got this under control because that, that, you know, brings a certain level of awareness for you. So you still live with this awareness, you know, like you were saying, I had to stop watching this TV, this TV Mm -hmm. show because it could be a trigger for me. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Some thoughts like you're not so cocky that you think it could never happen again. Yes. And I think two years ago, if I was watching that TV show, I'd be like, Oh, all in, like maybe I'll get some tips, you know, like, or at least knew enough to, to extract myself from, from that. I hope to one day be able to watch something like that and not have those, those types of triggering thoughts. But you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think right now I'm trying to focus on being a good example for my kids and, and hoping that they have a better relationship with food and they trust their bodies um, and all that. Do you think you will tell them one day? Yeah, I think so. I I think it's important for them to know that this is a a possibility. You know, I I don't know that it's necessarily genetic per se, but I think it's important for them to, to understand, you know, like this is what I went through. And if you're, Mm -hmm. if you starting are starting to feel out of control of something or in a bad place about something and you're having these types of thoughts, like it's totally okay. And we can talk about it and we can get you help and all that. Like, I, I think that acknowledging our flaws to our children is important. Cause I remember growing up, like that was not done in my house. So then I didn't feel like I could acknowledge my flaws, you know, mm-hmm. have you run into anything since you do have a daughter and I do know some little girls who have at least at uh, where my eldest is in school and there he's a year younger than Avery is, has, has her speaking about her body in a negative way come up at all? No, no, thank God. Um, she's a tough cookie. And I think it's because she's got two brothers. Like she, she's a tomboy. She's, she's tough thing. A knock on wood. It has not. I have a, a girlfriend of mine who struggled with disordered eating in the past, whose daughter, it appeared was going down that path, perhaps she's okay mm-hmm. now, but there was definitely that there was a time where, where my girlfriend was struggling with how to address it because it, it, if it, and if it was Avery, it's such a delicate balance of like, I can't tell her you need to do this because that's right. just going to fuel the, I'm not doing this, you know? So yeah. I hope that I would be able to approach it more from like, what's going on inside of you. Like, let's, let's talk about that. And then we'll worry about making sure that you're, you're nourished because food, I mean, think about it when our kids are toddlers, right? There, there are things they can control. They can control food. They can control potty training. They can maybe control their sleep, right? Like, so if a kid wants to poop in a diaper till they're five, they're going to poop in a diaper till they're five. Like there's only so (laughs) many things that we can control and like, yeah eating, you know, it's just eating is not one of them. So absolutely. um, Yeah. It's figuring out how to, how to manage that. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's, again, that's not to say that it wouldn't be your boys either. I just know right. from my own experience with some of the little girls in my circle that it is something that has come up and, yep. you know, it starts young, which is it unfortunate. It starts really young. Yeah. Well, and the girls, mm-hmm, Logan has been mean. at my parents' house because my mom has her little like, you know, twos and fives mm-hmm. um, from her little workout classes that, I mean, I definitely, I mean, I've got them somewhere, but they're not in active use in my house. Um, <laughs> and he's like, he like would, will like lift weights and talk about be, getting stronger and like needing yep. a six pack. And I'm like, you don't need a six pack. I go, oftentimes a six pack is actually not a very healthy thing to have. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, like for most women, and and this is just something that I had only learned recently, like a lot of times if a woman has like a hardcore six pack, she probably doesn't have her period anymore. Right. Yes. Yep. You know, like you're not supposed to look like that. Be mindful. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Of how you're treated, like respect your body, respect, you know, what it's capable of and, you know, what it can do. And it's like, that's why, and like, I'm very hypersensitive to this. Avery took gymnastics for a period of time and she liked it. She didn't love it. She probably would have kept going. I didn't want her to keep going because gymnastics is a sport that encourages girls to be a certain size. 
to go mm-hmm. against what their body naturally is supposed to be. And it, you know what, if I didn't have the history that I have, I probably wouldn't have cared. And she would maybe be still be taking gymnastics. I am hypersensitive to gymnastics, figure skating, cheerleading, like anything. Yeah. That like tells a girl your body, the way it is right now, isn't good enough to compete in this sport. And I know she's only nine, but again, it's just, I'm hypersensitive to it. Whereas like, you know, she plays soccer and she, she's running around and she's, you know, having a good time with her friends and that's great. You know, like I love that, but I just, I'm hypersensitive to anything that would tell her you, your, your body needs to change in order to be competitive here. So, Mm -hmm. which is a shame, you know? Yeah. But I think, I don't think it's abnormal and, and it's, it doesn't sound like she's fighting you to do any of it anyway. No, um, and she's not, you know, and I think you would just navigate it as you've navigated everything else as we navigate anything mm-hmm. being a parent, right? What would you, cause you, you've said that you didn't feel supported by your parents mm-hmm. with the, in this kind of a situation. And obviously you have kids of your own that you're trying to navigate discussions and how you'll support yep. them and, and all of that. What kind of advice would you give to maybe a parent who might be listening or mm-hmm. a partner of someone that they think that this person that they love is, is hiding something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say be aware of the signs. Like if you notice all of a sudden that, um, you know, whether it's your child or, or your wife, friend, partner, whatever it is, you know, is all of a sudden out of nowhere, restricting certain food. Um, that's a sign it is very controlling about what they eat and when they eat. If you've noticed their portions are getting smaller and smaller, obviously, if you notice, you know, a drastic weight loss, if you just notice like a change in the behavior of their eating patterns, like that's definitely a sign. And I would say, you know, cause for, for concern and to just have the conversation, like, is there something going on that you want to talk about? Not you didn't finish your dinner. You should have finished your dinner or why didn't you eat that? Like take the, the focus shouldn't be on the food. The food is secondary. The food is, is the result of something Mm -hmm. else to focus on what might be going on inside, whether it's, you know, someone's having a difficult time, someone's feeling insecure, someone's getting bullied in school, whatever it happens to be the food is the outlet to control what they feel like they can't control. Um, so while you might not know if they're struggling with something internally, you're going to notice the change in their, their eating habits and their behavior and their attitudes toward, toward food. And that's a, that's a red flag. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think the advice to like take the food out of it is probably would be really helpful because I wouldn't necessarily know. Mm -hmm to do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was all, you know, that was what my parents focused on was the food and the food had nothing to do with it. The food was just the result of me not having a healthy way to deal with what I was dealing with mentally. Right. Mm -hmm. And obviously you need food to live, right. You, you do, but it's, you know, I think that's not the root of the problem. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. The food you can see. And I think that, yep like you said, like your parents were like, okay, well, I can see the food. So I want you to eat this much. And mm-hmm. they can, they can watch that and, tr- and they want to address that. Yes. Uh, yeah. Right. That's a tangible thing, yes. right? It's like, okay, well, yesterday you only ate half your dinner and today you ate three quarters of your dinner. Okay. That's success. It's not, right. you didn't heal and the I can weigh problem. you every day. And exactly. Yep. Yep. Make sure, um, I remember hearing a story when I was younger. It was like the sister of my stepsister's any friend and the parents had removed all of the doors in the house. Yeah. Because they wanted to be able to watch her at all times because she was binging and hiding food and doing mm-hmm. all of these behaviors. But again, that's not really addressing what's going on. It's not really addressing the problem. It's just trying to take control of what they can see. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Instead of healing her, like they're trying to heal 
what they perceive to be this tangible problem rather than healing the intangible. Well, it's like, I I mean, in therapy, they, they often say like anger is a secondary emotion. Yep. Right. The disordered eating and the relationship with food is secondary to something else. Mm -hmm. Exactly. To get to the root of what the problem is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you know, it's obviously easier to, to think that you can solve the problem by eating and gaining weight, right? Because those are two tangible things, but it's the intangible. And that's like a, that's a a trackable thing, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Very easy to track and a parent Mm -hmm. thinks they can control it, but they can't. But nope. 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 Um, Well, Liz, thank you so much for um, you guys. I really appreciate this. and, And sharing so vulnerably. And I think this is like a really important topic for parents for partners, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, yeah, for anyone that has, you know, some type of relationship with kids, if you're a coach or a mentor or a teacher or whatever, like you have an opportunity to observe kids and and be, you know, a good example for them. So, um, you know, even if you're not a parent and you don't have to just be a parent of a daughter, you know, so I think that just, um, overall it's an important topic that we need to remove the stigma from. And stop Absolutely. celebrating body yes. size and weight yeah. loss and all of that. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But I so appreciate this opportunity. Thank you guys so much. This was Thank amazing. You. And I love seeing you yeah. ladies again. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so good. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Now What? If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. And make sure to find us on Instagram at nowwhat underscore podcast. Until next time, we're Tisha and Jen. Remember, your hard times are the chance to write another chapter.